troubles, no troubles on the line. And I can't stand to see you, I can't stand to see you when you're crying at home. Scotch and penicillin Please try Carlton A cold black maple hanger And husbands on the run I just got back from a dream attack That took me by surprise And in there I met a lady Her name was Shaded Sides And she said Something so old be so wrong. Sin and gravity drag me down to sleep to dream of trains across the sea. Trains across the sea. Seven years I've drunk 50,000 beers And they just wash against me Like the sea into a pier mm-hmm. Hey, alright! And welcome to episode number 100 of the Better Yet podcast I'm David Anthony, your guest host Better Yet! is a long-form interview podcast talking to musicians about influence, writing, and being around. For episode number 100, you're probably asking yourself, why am I hearing your voice? This is You're not the host of this podcast. You're not the host of this show. Well, today, my friends, I'm the guest host of this show because I am joined by the one and only host of Better Yet, Tim Crisp. It was a very good intro you did there. I, I had to get animated. I had to use my arms. I had I, to feel it. I do the same thing when I'm alone and doing these. And now that I'm in a new room, worrying about the people who live above me hearing it and just being like, oh, no. What is this guy? Yeah. Oh, who the fuck just moved in? But they're cool. That's good. Because uh, it could be they could think you're the, like the weirdo doing like stand up comedy to yourself in the mirror trying to like nail your timing. <sighs> I couldn't even imagine living with a stand up comic or in the same building as a stand up comic. It'd be the worst thing in the world. I've dated one. It's a nightmare. <laughs> um, but uh, so I want to talk a little bit about first, like why why am I hosting this today? Well, this was an idea that. I'm very thankful 
that you reached out to me about mm-hmm. um, pretty early on, I think, asking if I would be interested in being interviewed. And I said to you, well, um, yes, I would. We're going to wait, though. We're going to wait till episode 100 if we get there. This mm-hmm. idea for the episode 100 is stolen from Cole Cabana's The Art of Wrestling podcast, which is what this whole podcast is stolen from. Yeah, I mean, I know for a long time you would say or describe this as like, oh, I'm doing Marin. Right. But I, I never saw that as much. You know, I saw more of, of the Cole Cabana. I saw more of just a almost, and this is going to be a high compliment, so holy oh. versus, it's a more it's a more Terry Gross approach. Well, it's good that you don't see Marin because when I started it, I had to stop listening to Marin. Like, yeah, pretty early on, it was it was a very like, oh yeah, oh mm-hmm. oh you're guys, you know, yeah, asking yeah. that. And I like, remember the episode that made me stop. Right, um, and I, I love Marin. That's not like a, that's actually not a knock on him as much as it's just like I can't ask questions the way that he does it's a different energy and it was also the same with terry gross too especially if you listen early on uh probably in the first like dozen episodes or so there's like very very hard line rip off terry gross questions of a few the oh well thank you yeah hey 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 i mean this theme in your work has presented itself in so many ways and i'm wondering where exactly that plays into your early life. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about the podcast. We're going to go back a little right. bit. But I do want to say I think it's interesting to see someone develop the way they ask questions, you know, and, and the way they articulate those thoughts. Because there's one thing you ask early on in every interview, uh-huh. which I'm going to ask you now. Yeah. Um, you know, where did you grow up? How did you get into music? Was, was there music in the house? Um. <laughs> I grew up in central New Jersey in a small town called Nishanik Station. Um, I'm really nervous about doing this. I can, tell. This. I can um, tell. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Tim, I've done this uh-huh. thousands of times. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just you and me talking. Um, yeah, I grew up small town, uh, central New Jersey called Nishanik Station. It wasn't even really... A town. It was like a four-digit population. We had a post office. There was an old uh, train station. That's why it was called Nishanik Station. I was going to ask, yeah. But it shut down in the 60s or the 70s. There was a few cul-de-sacs. That was it. A really? lot of a lot of land. Grew up on like, a, like an acre on a hill. Really? Is this northern and southern New Jersey? I don't, I don't know New Jersey well. It, it's central New Jersey, which is very green. Um, we were pretty close to New Brunswick, um, but like Flemington, Hillsborough area, saves okay. the days from Flemington. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So it was, it was a tiny town. Uh, we, I went to a different town for elementary school. That town would have all gone to a whole different town for high school, small mm-hmm. town within a small town. Yeah. Um, took the little bus to school because we were so far away really yeah wow so how long was the was the commute um it was like 40 minutes okay to and from school i got kicked off the bus in first grade why because it was 
a long bus ride. <laughs> and by by minute 20, I was sure, losing my mind. Sure. So, yeah, I was. Uh, there's a really good uh, report that remains uh, in the family's possession to this day of, of me, like, you know, every check mark is checked by the bus driver of what's been what he's been doing wrong and really? running up and down the aisles giving kids wet willies yeah it's a it's beautiful you were a little terror huh i was yeah i had a hard time sitting still what do you what do you think that was from was it just your kind of natural disposition of wanting to be doing something wanting to be engaged yeah i think to a certain extent i have um actually recently started taking adderall um and started taking or i was like told by a psychiatrist when i was in high school that i should be on adderall but i didn't like that guy so i wasn't gonna take it yeah and it got brought up um fairly recently um and when my psychiatrist brought it up i was like uh he's like have you ever thought about adderall and i was like in the back of my mind i'm like yeah i've thought about taking it once a week and selling the rest yeah no totally but since i've been taking it it's been really really helpful for anxiety and multitasking and all sorts of things like that so i think that if i was i think that if i was a little bit uh if i was born a little bit later it would probably happen sooner yeah yeah well what kind of things were you interested in as a kid um sports and you know music there was music everywhere yeah i mean it sounds like you know i I don't remember the episode number but the episode with your dad yeah uh 52 52 you know there's a lot that kind of comes out of that and we see like kind of that early evolution but when did you start realizing you know that music was more than just kind of this ancillary thing that happened in the background when did you start develop to develop an interest in that and and how did your parents help shepherd that i mean honestly i have uh, i have memories of me knowing the words to lucinda williams and john hyatt songs Mm -hmm. that those are those are my first memories i already know the words so it was just like it was being played on saturday nights it was being played in the car on the way to hockey practice in the morning we would drive out my dad would make tapes Mm -hmm. he was always coming home with new things um and it was just yeah it was constant and i think that more than like more than understanding music as more than just like a background thing it was understanding the fact that my parents were interested in music in a way that most parents and by most all parents like yeah yeah totally so they just never stopped buying things and like buying new things. And that was totally rare, I think. No, I, you're completely right. I mean, I do think, you know, one of the things that I think is common when you talk to someone is that like, they're always saying how it's their older sibling who got them into something, right? Yeah. You know, that's how they discover punk or, or music. But it sounds like that was kind of, you know, bred into you pretty early on, you know, and I know you have siblings. What role did they kind of play in, in that dynamic? My parents? Well, your parents, your siblings, what was the kind of family dynamic in terms of of that idea of exposure to art and, and culture? Right. Well, I'm I'm the oldest um, of three. Um, my brother is nine years younger than me, and my sister is 15 years younger than me. Um, so I had like, you know, I have a cool older cousin and down the line there were like cooler older kids that were 
you know, through aim conversations or people that I knew in high school, but really it was my dad. Yeah. Just straight up. Like, you know, we went to see Richard Thompson together for my 11th birthday. That was my 11th Mm -hmm. birthday present was going to see Richard Thompson. Um, He was just like buying things all the time and buying things as they came out. So it was like, you know, power pop in the early nineties, alt country in the mid to late nineties. And when I started to get into punk, well, when I got into the Goo Goo Dolls, I was gonna ask. Um, he's the one that's like, "All right, you like this? Here's Superstar Car Wash. This is their record yeah. from '93. This is where it's at." And so that was like my favorite. That was like my first favorite band, I would say. How did how did you find them? Um, I mean, they were on the radio. And that was like, it was kind of the first crossover. I guess it kind of, once we started, like I didn't always take the little bus to school. I took the big bus in in third grade. Was it still 40 minutes long? It was a long trip, yeah. So would you listen to music on? They would have, it was 97.5 PST in Mm -hmm. New Jersey. Um, Shout out to Lauren Denizio, who also name dropped PST in our episode. Um, But... Yeah, I think that was the first time that I was like exposed to popular music and it was also I guess a bit of a realization that like oh um y'all like Alanis Morissette more than you like Super Drag. That's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, the, totally, you know, totally. I I don't know like any of this any of this stuff that's that's being played really um until like name dropped when name was yeah. was a single i was like i like this song and then my dad was like well i saw them at maxwell's like three months ago sure 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 <laughs> i'll never get to do that again yeah no absolutely so that was like were they a, wearing shoes at that gig they i don't i think so. robbie most definitely was not wearing mm-hmm. shoes he was wearing shoes for like a little bit when i saw them over the summer johnny was like i don't know what's going on johnny's with that a guy different anymore. human quite He's, literally he, yeah he definitely they is. rebuilt him in the image of several other people who have like plastic so surgery bad. it's like weird i think to uh to look at that guy and be like man you just wanted to be paul westerberg yeah for like a long time and then, then you, you struck gold yep. and now you're in another dimension the taste of fame can can take you places it's weird um so i mean obviously your dad was familiar and i know the the origin story of your dad being like well you should listen to the replacements right right yeah yeah. so is that basically the next evolution of hearing that no no because i i like the replacements but i didn't really like them that much because i didn't get it i mean it's pretty adult it's really adult and i i think really the the one that like kind of jump-started it in terms of like I guess my own discovery was Blink. Yeah. Like hearing same. hearing Blink and like that was a really fun time for like MTV two oh, also. Yeah. Like they were playing like at the drive in videos mm-hmm. and you know, like finding like the liner notes of Venom of the State and getting just like you know who are all these bands that are being yeah named the liner note and that's when the cool older friend from back east is like check out drive through records check out saves the day mm-hmm. my dad like at the same time found the get up kids so yeah. vagrant like all the vagrant records just came into the house yeah 
And so... And were you still in New Jersey at this point? We moved in uh, 99 to Illinois. Okay. My dad got a different job. He gotcha. Moved, he used to work right next to the Trade Towers. Up really? Until like 97, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's weird. What, what, what did he do? He works in insurance. Uh-huh. Um, it's a job that I... I still can't believe is a job where people ask him what type of insurance to get and then he tells them what type of insurance to get. But it's like he works with like like companies and like there's a movie division in he works for Aon. Got and it, so got it's it, got so it. it's like we need, you know, we've got a we've got a uh, a helicopter that explodes in in this scene. Like what <laughs> yeah. what kind of insurance do we get? He doesn't work in like that part of it but he's been doing it for you know 30 years or something and he's just good at it so Mm -hmm. that's what he does yeah what what did your mom do my mom was a stay-at-home mom for a little bit of time and then she worked retail and then my brother came along and then she um she went back to school for she became a master gardener in new jersey the garden Mm -hmm. state fitting she worked at the flower shop and then we moved and then she was stay-at-home mom for a while and then eventually she bought her own flower shop in woodstock illinois wow eight years or so yeah it's super inspiring she like started anew like in her 50s and you know now they're in dublin and they both started anew in their 60s yeah um which is i think good perspective yeah i mean i think it's important to see that because i think it's very easy for people to get caught in the idea of oh i should you compare yourself to other people and i should be doing this by then right well we're (laughs) we're not i don't really know any family that's like mine Mm -hmm. um you know my parents divorced when i was a freshman in college in between like freshman and sophomore year. Um, I came home and really slapped me in the face. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, Really? Yeah. They were, they were always good. Yeah. And, um, that was, yeah, that was, uh, kind of blindsided me and, you know, being in college, I was able to just be like, all right, well, have fun with that. Sure. Um, but as I got a little bit older, I kind of developed individual relationships with both of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I think the, the reason that we're as close as we are today has a lot to do with the fact that we, you know, we both have cultivated something, you know, with my dad, it was like, we would just go to shows. Once I moved up here, we would mm-hmm, go to mm-hmm. shows at the hideout or Shuba's, you know, anything that he felt like doing. We were, we were both like just single guys, like hanging <laughs> yeah, out, yeah. you know, like going to fucking going to the live music events. Right. And, and he was, he's like continued to have his finger on the pulse of things that I find interesting musically that I wouldn't know about otherwise. Mm hmm. And my mom and I are really similar. And I think that over time we we really got to an understanding of just like 
you know, I, I think that my mom understands a lot of the way my head works sure. more than anybody else in the world. Well, it's important to have that. It's important to have people who you feel like not only support you, but understand you kind of on these fundamental levels. Like right. your, your, your dad, it sounds like you two have a very closeness of like really being fascinated in the thing and, and letting that dictate a lot of your life to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but you know, having that closeness with your mom as well, who, who you just kind of have a kinship with quite literally. Yeah. Know, that makes it, that makes a big, it's a big deal. Right. And, and she got sober when I was in high school. And I think that when, uh, you know, when she decided to do that, my parents were very like blunt with me about it. Just being like, this is how this thing works. Mm-hmm. Um, you should probably be careful. And then, you know, once I get a little bit down the line, I'm sort of calling my mom and just being like, you ever think about it like this? And she's like, yep. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, fuck. Uh Uh (laughs) But I mean, you know, there's, I guess there's more to the the saga, the fact that like what happened was my, my dad and I were out at a show um and he's just like hey there's something i gotta talk to you about i think i can get transferred to dublin and i was like well fuck man you're a single guy go ahead yeah yeah. why not my brother was you know about to graduate high school he's like yeah figure you know wait till he's wait till he's done and then sure go and i was like yeah fucking go for it man Uh and then he and my mom kind of started seeing each other again and it was a little bit, they didn't get like right back together, but my mom adopted my cousin. Mm-hmm. That was 2014. So I got a sister now. And yeah. that was kind of the, that was kind of the missing piece. Sure. Was, was her. And so five of us went to the courthouse and watched my mom and dad get remarried. Mm-hmm. And then everything was pretty settled and you know my sister's my sister's life before she moved in with us was um not very not very good at all Mm -hmm. and so you know my parents had like just kind of put things on the back burner and um then uh they were like hey do you want to go and do this thing and she's like fucking no way absolutely not Mm -hmm. and and my dad got sick my dad got throat cancer a couple years ago and so everything was like off um but he was good they zapped it yeah great and like during that time she was just like yeah all right like i'm down let's do it it's like the moment he when he was ready, they went and then they found a place, and that's where they've been. Wow! Gone so, to, go, I'll be I'll be gone when this airs. I'm so happy. I'm gonna be on the other side of the ocean when this thing sees the light of day. That's uh, it's it's easy to run from it. I'm glad you uh, orchestrated an entire trip to avoid listing to episode number 100. But I want to go back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You moved to Illinois. I felt like I should get all of oh, that yeah. shit out of yeah. the way. Yeah. Right. No. 
That's, that's what interviewing is. You let people talk about what they want to talk about, and then you reel them back. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. Mm, disagree. Uh, so let's talk about you moving to the Midwest. Uh-huh. What, what was that like for you? you know, oh, my Did it God. feel like a big change? The moment I saw uh, the Menards commercial for the first time, I realized that we were in a fucking different dimension. A magical place. It's still a little weird to me. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's I, everybody in the Midwest is so nice, and there's there's a little bit of uh, East Coast vinegar sometimes. But yeah, I mean, it was it was fine. Mm-hmm. I had I had a lot of friends in New Jersey. It was a good home base. It's not easy to move, but it turned out okay. It was fine. My dad moved a lot when he was a kid, and he was like, "It's gonna be fine." Yeah. So you know, I kind of took advantage a little bit. I got. I got all the Nintendo 64 games I wanted that summer, and <laughs> sure, it was sure. fine. Yeah, it had a way of working out. You could play Mario Kart all day, every day. Yeah. Um, when did you uh, start playing music? Um, I started playing, I guess, my freshman year of high school. Yeah, I started taking... I think I got a, I think I got a bass that summer and then started taking lessons at the players' bench in Crystal Lake. Mm. Uh huh. Then we played with this guy who loved the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's all we That's, wanted to do. Is that is... why you played bass? Were you like forced into this situation? Um, no, I played bass because you only had to play one string at a time. Sure, and sure. My dad, I, How my old dad, you? I was, uh, you know, fourteen going into high school. What are you, fourteen, fifteen? Yeah. Um, I think the one off. A uh, piece of musical advice that my dad gave me was, he was like, nobody wants to play bass. You should be, you should play bass because it's less flashy than guitar. You need a good, solid bass player. And you find out that like, no, everybody plays bass because it's like, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's especially easy if you're a kid into punk who wants to be in a band. Totally. You know. Totally. All you got to do, all you got to do is just. Learn how to play root notes, and then you fucking listen to Dan Andriano, and you you figure out how to how to walk around in between those notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's all you need. Yeah. So when did when did you start playing uh, guitar? Did you have any bands going at this time? Like, uh, yeah, I was in a band called uh, the Dean Boyder Trio. It was our drummer's name. We thought it would be funny if were we... you all seventy five years old? What the? No, no, his name's Dean Boyder. So we were like, what should the name of our band be? Oh. It should be the dean boyder trio he doesn't he doesn't sing he's not <laughs> it's just wow. like okay um what what vibe were you guys going for oh god we had no idea <laughs> i mean, never do alkaline trio um and then at a certain point i wanted to be lifetime um but i but you need think, a drummer well okay. dean no dean was great really dean was a good drummer um uh our friend bob was playing bass he didn't he had no interest in he had like a five string bass and oh. he played in like the marching band. Um, sure. He wanted then, to be in Rush. Right. Yeah. He loved Rush, actually. That's very on point of you. I knew it. Um, and yeah, Matt Jordan played guitar for a little while. Really? Yeah. One day we're going to get him on here and we can talk about those days. I'd love to hear this origin story. Yeah. Yeah. But I started playing guitar. I, I think like my friend Carl had like a crappy uh acoustic mm-hmm. and so i just figured out a couple chords and kind of just taught myself and then when i went to college uh 
started just I was listening to a lot of Ryan Adams and a lot of like Ryan Adams bootlegs from the like before even Heartbreaker Gold came out like that early era where it was just him. And so that's when I figured out like, oh, okay, hammer ons and and shit like that. This is how you make like something that's just CG and F really interesting is totally just fingering in this way. Totally. Uh-huh. So were you were you just trying to write songs and, and, and do like a kind of a solo project at that point? Or were you, um, were you trying to get a band together? I wasn't, I guess I wasn't really trying to, I don't know. Like high school, I wasn't really interested in doing music all of that much. Um, I was just kind of, I guess, more interested in finding music i was listening to a lot of music and what things were jumping out to you um i think it was like a pretty typical path of discovery where you go backwards into punk Mm -hmm. and buzzcocks clash undertones um the smiths and the cure i really locked into yeah that'll happen Um, and then like lifetime which team are you on smiths or cure um, I think that the Smiths have the two best records of a top five that would be uh, curated between those two bands. Okay. But I think that The Cure's top four is better than The Smiths' four. How's that for a non-answer? That's, fair. that's, that's a good non-answer. That's diplomatic. I like it. Um. Yeah, I brought a guitar with me to college just to play, and like I wrote some songs, and um, but I wasn't really. I guess I didn't really know how to like go about starting a band or where to play, mm-hmm. and I hadn't discovered like folk punk yet. Sure. So I was just like, "What's like? Where am I gonna play?" You know wilco adjacent songs for people that's not like at the student center yeah yeah, because yeah. when i was in college i started going house shows and stuff like that and i was really into it it was great like discovering mm-hmm. like all sorts of shit saw Ru- russian circles in a fucking basement yeah in 2006 um so you know that's kind of where i met i mean a lot of a lot of important people to like my life and you know in relation to this program that's like where i met joey Capel, mm-hmm. and he was booking hardcore shows in normal at illinois state mm-hmm. um our house was called das fun house Good i just name. read please kill me so makes sense stooges um but i think that was my first like i guess that was my first uh, feeling of like being integrated into a local scene. Crystal Lake was like, I don't know. It wasn't it's, really it's, put together. I think yeah. that like Matt, Matt and uh, his band that wasn't the one that I was in. Uh, like those kids were all younger than me, and sure. once once I was out of there, they figured out a good groove. But you know that things like that last for a couple of years, and then and it also takes time for people to figure out how to do it. Right. You know, like it's not something that just appears overnight. Like there is a lot of work that goes into making something like that, even on a super small scale. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when you go to college and, and you're kind of getting integrated into this world, 
you know, what was drawing you into that? Well, what was exciting to you about being in this place where you were experiencing music? Like you said, like seeing Russian circles in a basement as opposed to, you know, going to see Richard Thompson when you're 11. Well, I would still do that. Yeah. Um, I think that it was kind of the, you know, people talk about like prototypical college experiences of getting drunk for the first time and like meeting weird people Mm -hmm. and like staying out too late and missing your Friday class and you know, all of that sort of shit. Like I I didn't drink in high school, like really at all. And I didn't have really any interest in like frat parties. I, I think I actually went to college. Like I was kind of a square. Um, Same. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, for some reason, I like, I like really had to do well at college. I didn't do good in high school at all. I didn't do yeah. good in, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always had good test scores. And so I felt like I totally like coasted through, uh, through high school, wrote a good admissions essay on why my grades were so bad, but I'm actually really smart and you should let me into your college. Because you were reading books. No, I actually, I went to be an elementary school teacher. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I just meant in, in high school, you were probably reading uh-huh. outside of classwork. No, not really. Really? No, it was like, I wasn't really into, I wasn't really into reading fiction until like I went to college and like stumbled into it. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um. Yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. I wanted to, I didn't want to play music but like the travis shettle working model of because i thought he taught first grade sure 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 i i looked at that as being the ideal i i love kids i have always gotten along with kids Mm -hmm. um so i thought that that would be like a good thing to go and do and then you know if i wanted to pursue something creatively or just like be an open-ended person um that that would be a good path for me totally um and then you know fucking read the goddamn stranger on the quad and then that was that really no actually what it was was i was in a children's lit class um and you read it was go dog go no yeah. i no i read winnie the pooh yeah and and i'm in this class with like all these or elementary education majors which is a very like you know moderate major sure it's a lot it's a lot of people that come from the place where i came from that i never really identified with and we're doing children's lit and uh we're reading you know the first peter pan like jm barry's peter pan and yeah yeah and and winnie the pooh and i'm just like i'm like yo like the interactions between Christopher Robin and A.A. Milne, the narrator, who is interjecting Christopher Robin into the story. This is, like, insane, and this is so good. And everyone in my class is just like, ah, what? Why do you care? And then, yeah, my my teacher was just like, yo, you're in the wrong major. And I was like, yeah, I kind of thought so. Was that, what was making you feel like you were, that was not right for you? I was just weird. I yeah. felt weird in there all the time. And it was like, it's a lot of like, you're, you learn about all these educational methods, but you're in No Child Left Behind era. So it's just like, you know, here are the, 
here are four cognitive theories about learning. You can't do any of them. No, totally. And I think that I had like, I had a bit of a, I guess like, it was innocent, but it's a little bit of that like white savior. Like, I want to go and teach in the inner city and I want to like, you, you wanted know. to dangerous minds it. Yeah. I did. I did want to dangerous mind it. Then, you know, you you just find out that it's like, all right, well, that's actually the place where you're really not going to be able to like go and like sit in a circle and talk to kids about books. No. You're going to like make sure that they pass the science final or this, yeah. you know, the science yeah. exam at the end of the thing. So, yeah, I think it was uh, it was a good enough reason for me to like not participate. Fair um, enough. Did you switch your major? <laughs> Yeah, I switched it to English. Um, but yeah, it had a lot to do too with just like, yeah, I was getting really into, I guess just, I felt like I felt like my world was kind of opening up. I felt like I was really enjoying the house that I was living in and the people that I was, you know, that were coming and like, you know, not only like the touring uh, bands, but like, you know, a lot of the weirdos that, decide that they want to go to house shows on a Thursday night. Like those were people that I was like really, I guess starting to identify with mm-hmm. and, you know, coupled with the fact that I was like so fucking into the hold steady <laughs> that it was just like, this is the life yeah. for me right now. I need to be a lit major and I need to just going to you know. walk around and drink some more. Yeah. It's what yeah. it was for fucking four years. <laughs> so when did you start drinking? Um, I guess college, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What was the impetus? Just to try something new, just being yeah. around it. Yeah, it was totally. It wasn't problematic then. It was just like you know, you go to a you go to a show and um, there are older kids there who buy you beer, and then I guess it was the first time that I was drinking beer with people that I liked, so I was enjoying myself. Sure. And you know, there was. I was never, I never really had too much of a problem. I don't think I drank during the week during college. I was mm-hmm. still like, still pretty intent on, on doing well. Did you do well? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So you, so you got your degree in English then. Yeah. And did you move to Chicago pretty quickly thereafter? Do you stick around in uh No, in I stayed in normal for a couple of years. It was a decision that like, a few of us who are graduating at that time made where, mm-hmm. we, you know, I think we were all, we were all like from the suburbs. So it was Chicago eventually, but I was playing in a band. I was playing in a band at the time. What band was that? Uh, we were called the Night Brigade. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my friend Adam and I started that band. We were in a band before that with Joey uh, called Endless Mike. Joey was kind of, or no, Joey was like, Joey was playing a lot of bands at that time. Joey was in like Boiling Over mm-hmm. and they were doing a lot of things and he might've been playing with Weekend Nachos for a little bit of time. He did, but I don't know if it was yeah. during that time, but he didn't really have time for it. So um, Adam and I started uh, the Night Brigade. Uh, we got a fresh-faced 18-year-old Vince Aguilar to play bass who was wow. friends with uh uh mikey the drummer mm-hmm. all three of those kids were from the Juliet area and yeah it was like it was uh it was like bouncing souls springsteen party rock i could not party rock but you know you're saying the gaslight anthem really weird i know it's true just own it 
Just own it. I know. Well, I was, more than anything, I was trying to do Chris. I was trying to do the Chris McGoggin okay, yeah. part of it. Yeah, the literary, you know, yeah. kind of sad, kind of uh-huh. useful, kind of drunk oh, thing. Oh, so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand fully. So you were, doing, you were doing those bands. Like, did you guys do much? Did you tour? Was it just kind of playing locally? Well, um, this maybe elaborated on a little bit more next week adam's gonna do the show adam's got a new band called uh blind adam in the federal league but what happened was we were gonna record we were gonna record an eight song thing we were gonna call it an lp because it's like born and runs eight songs like who cares yeah who gives a shit adam and i got into a, a fight we just like wrestled around with each other and oh, so like physical yeah yeah it was fucking ridiculous um Weird. okay yeah what brought that on? Oh, big old instigator Tim brought it on. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we decided that maybe it'd be best if I didn't participate in the band anymore. And so I started playing by myself, like with everybody's blessing. Like Adam, Adam and I were cool, like right after it happened it was sure. just like we probably shouldn't be spending this much time together we're really yeah. getting on each other's nerves um so what happened was they went up to record and it was just the three of them but scott uh my number one homie he had a verse on one of the songs and then they go up there to record and then there's like these parts that just don't have like verses because i'm not there to sing them and sure. so adam's like I got like, you know, a few lines for here if you want to write something. So what ends up is that Scott like throws down verses on the thing and then uh, the record turns out great. And then Scott and I are talking about like what we're going to do over the summer. And he was going to do something else, but he decided to stay normal. And I was like, dude, you should just fucking join that band. Like, we're all friends. Yeah, yeah. And we all, like, lived in the same duplex together. So Scott Scott joined, and then um, I was living with Scott and, like, a couple of other homies on one side, and then, like, Adam and, and Mikey and some other fools were on the other side of this duplex. And I was playing by myself, and then eventually they're just like, do you want to just, like, be in the band again? And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. That sounds sure, great. Sure. And then we, like bought an $800 van that we were going to take to the East Coast, and then it died on the way to Joliet. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, at least it was only Joliet. Yeah, so um, that was that. So that was the tour, huh? Uh-huh. Well, um, so w- how old were you? Was this like you were a sophomore? I just graduated, just so graduated. I was 22. Got it, got it. So how much longer did the band last after uh, the failed van experiment well we i think we wrote songs like during that like i guess what would be the school year we were we were all working at the same jimmy john's which like our friend Corey, who lived with us was managing really i feel so bad for that guy to this day he just like dealing with our like shitty behavior all the time and he's like Guys, like, come on. Why are you going to make this difficult for me? And I was such an asshole all the time. I was so grumpy. I was like, oh, man, this job, it sucks. It's so stupid. Nobody validates me here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, 
But if you would have made a really good sandwich, someone would have validated you. Dude, it's not hard to make a good Jimmy John sandwich, man. That they they put that thing down in such a assembly line method that like I could go behind the counter right now and like whip up a really solid turkey tom, no tomatoes, no sprouts, add cheese. Sorority special in oh. Normal, Illinois. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh so how how long did you stay in normal after after graduation? Two years, um, which was uh, probably a year and a half too long. Normal Illinois, I, I love that place like with all of my heart, but it it's tough to stay. One, it's tough to stay in Central Illinois because it's yeah. the South. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's I I think it was really difficult to stay in a college town when you have the uh, mid twenties early mid twenties crisis period when you're just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Everybody yeah, I know rough. is going to college. So, you know, it's most... either everyone I know is going to college or everyone I know is 45 and just like resigned to staying here right. forever. Yeah. And so I decided to go back to school and Scott and Adam and like most of the duplex moved up to Chicago and I stayed and Tried that elementary education degree again. Dropped out like within weeks. Oof. <laughs> yeah. So it was. It was like immediately like no. I was right the first time. I was so right the first time. Yeah. And I was living alone, and that's kind of where I think that's when I sort of got caught up to speed with what had been happening in punk for like the five years previous. Sure. I was getting a lot from like Joey. Yeah. You know, Lemuria, the Ergs, stuff like that. But then I moved into an apartment. I moved in by myself, and I was, like, a little bit worried with how I was going to spend my time. So I just basically did, like, like the last five years of punk news. I just went and, like, took it all in. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, there was so much exciting stuff going on at that time with, like, Orgcore and stuff like that. And, you know, also being, like, really into the whole study and, like, Titus Andronicus and yeah. stuff like that. I was just, like taking it all in and when i went back to school um i got a loan based on my income from the previous year which was i'd been working for half of it doing a delivery job sure so they were like oh you're going back to school here is way too much money yeah so i you know spent all of it and then i was like all right cool i got all these bands that I like, I'll just buy all their records. Yeah, yeah. So after after this period of time, you know, you're living alone. When, when do you decide to make the move uh, up north? I wasn't going to school, so it was it was like everybody else is up there. I don't really have like a reason to go up there, but I can't stay here anymore. I don't know sure. where else I would want to go. So you know that, and also the fact that like this was, I think. I'm coming, you know. I'm I'm looking at the internet and I'm finding bands like Grown Ups, yeah. and Castavet, and it's like, oh damn, Chicago's fucking happening, huh? Yeah, there's something going on up there. So I I came up and and it was it was wild, man. Like went to fucking see Algernon and Snowing at was it Strange Light? Mm-hmm. And that was just like, oh my god, like yeah. this shit. And like I'd seen snowing a couple times too, and like that 
that shit blew my mind. It was, uh, it was a pretty good time. Hearing all of that stuff, man, it was like I'd always been drawn to, I think, lyrical content, like vocal and, and lyrical content has just always been the thing that I go to first. Sure. Second is, is guitars. And third is timpani. Yeah. I loved what the weaker thans were doing. I loved what Craig was doing, the Titus Andronicus, you know, the monitor and, and airing. Like, that shit just blew my mind. And then when I was finding, like, these bands who are all my age, sure. who are doing it for these these labels like Top Shelf and, and Tiny Engines and Square yeah. of Oppositions yeah. and just all these all these kids that, like, you know, they're they're going through the same, like, shit as I am. It was just that was really exciting to me yeah and i I think it was was the it was the first time that like i felt like music was i felt like the first time i was on like a like a peer-to-peer level with people who were making music yeah not just looking up at someone who's like wow how do i get to there right this was like i can yeah be a participant exactly so did you try and did you get involved with that world did you try and like you know, put on shows, play music. Like, what what was, you know, the next step after seeing that? Well, there was, like, the house show scene in Normal. And after Joey left, like, Vince really took the rungs um, and booked a lot of great stuff at his place. And when I moved up here, um, Vince texted me and was like, hey, please and thank yous are looking for a rhythm guitarist, I'm going to play bass for him. Like, do you mm-hmm. want to do it? And like, I'd known Marcus and Jeff just, you know, I think we actually played a show together at the kitchen, but either way, we played at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And yeah. And I mean, like, you know, like booked a couple shows at Firehouse too. So it was like, I, I wanted to be involved in, in, I guess, whatever way that I could. Mm-hmm. So you joined the please and thank yous. And, you know, they were kind of in that, like you said, they were in that whole world too. How did it feel to be, you know, getting into that band and what what was that dynamic like? It was exciting in a, in a lot of ways because working with Jeff was really eye-opening. Jeff's a really, really smart musician. Mm-hmm. Jeff is, Jeff writes some of the most complex pop music that, you could consider like i i learned so much about just playing guitar playing electric guitar too before i was like at a marshall half stack that i like bought at the pawn shop that i never dialed in the tone i didn't know anything about stuff like that and like jeff and marcus i think are both have really really good ears and um playing with with both of them i think kind of opened my eyes to like oh wow there's like so much to consider with mm-hmm. all of this and yeah playing with like you know a lot of bands i think that the please and thank you is like for as inactive as we've been since i've been in that band they're still like involved with like a lot of people and like the friend group mm-hmm. around that is so solid and so yeah i was like just like meeting people through that and like i think that Sometimes it's hard to get me out of the house, but anytime I'm at a show, I'm invested in watching it. And sure. so like that's you know, going back to like going to shows with my dad, it's like 
he really wants to go and I don't know, you know, maybe I don't know too much about this guy or like, you know, I don't know more than a couple Mark Mulcahy songs, but then when I'm there, I'm just pretty, pretty locked in the entire pretty time. Invested. Yeah. It's like how I, how I discover I, a lot of things I think, which is different, but. What yeah. do you mean? Well, I just, I, I think that most people like, you know, listen to the record a number of times and then go to the show. And for me, it's like, I see them at a show and then I listen to the record. Sure. And I think that's very, you know, was common for a, a spell. You yeah. Know, when there were a lot of those shows where it's like four or five bands at. I think that had a lot else. to do with it too. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, there were, there were, you know, bands playing in our basement all the time. There were bands playing at the pool party house all the time. Vince would book these bands that like, I'd just go and see them and I'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. I'm down mm-hmm. with that. Let me buy something. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously please and thank yous are still, active yeah right um were you doing anything else musically during that time um i was doing like solo stuff that kind of it kind of petered out i never really uh i made i guess three or four eps um under your own name no under uh swing and party mm-hmm. um i am gonna edit that out um but I ne- I guess I never was really like comfortable playing outside of like my kitchen. Sure. I w- I would do really good sets at my kitchen or my friend's kitchen. Something along those lines. I could never really overcome the idea that I made a thing and I put a lot of work into it and now I have to tell everybody to About listen it. to it. Yeah. It's hard. It's still hard. Yeah, it's it was, weird. Doing this was like one of the biggest things that I had to overcome was just being like, all right, this is this is the thing that I care about and it's what I'm putting everything into. Like I can't not tell people about it. Yeah. So that's not that's not fair. Especially when you have guests. That makes it a little bit easier. Like you want to promote who you're talking to. Once someone else someone else's time is invested into right. it, you kind of can't all of a sudden decide that exactly uh, yeah, yeah no yeah. this isn't happening uh-huh but, but let's let's jump cut up to uh to this show you know when when did you start kicking around the idea of wanting to do something like this um i think that i wanted to do it pretty much when i heard cabana the way he was talking to the wrestlers you know, Cole Cabana, and if if you're not interested in in professional wrestling, like that's okay. There's plenty to be taken from the fact that that is its whole own world with a crazy dynamic, a crazy set of you know code of conduct sort of sure. thing. And what he was, I guess, talking to everybody about within that, and kind of inviting everybody like behind the scenes. It just made me think like, okay, there's this world of people who are making music for crowds of 30. Yeah. And I I want to know more about them. And when the Glockamora record comes out and I'm just like, yo, who the fuck is Casey? Like <laughs> what is going on yeah, yeah. here? How do you how do you make that three song stretch in the middle that's so weird and spacey? How the 
fuck did you decide to do that? You know, finding those bands and, and then just going and trying to find information. It's just like a blog spot interview that's like, how do you write songs? Yeah. Well, one of us brings an idea. And like, I was so, when I was like deepest into Craig Finn, mm-hmm. like he was just giving interview after interview about his yeah. lyric writing process. And I was just chewing it all. I've always been interested in like biographical information, any sort of like nonfiction that I can apply to the creative thing. I fucking like goes back to like behind the music. Sure. I would watch that shit nonstop. I don't give a fuck about Molly Crew. Yeah. But that story's captivating to me. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things that I think people uh don't consider as much, but so much of all music writing is is providing context. Yeah. It's not necessarily knowing how to describe what a guitar sounds like. Yeah. But it's telling them how they got that guitar in their hands. And I think that I'm such like a lyric person that yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to talk to people about what they were writing and that's i guess a pretty specific thing i knew that it was interesting to me and so i don't know it was a pipe dream for sure i had uh i had to get a couple of things out of the way i think before we could do it what what did you have to get out of the way i had to get sober yeah yeah was it starting to become a problem it's funny um, because I'd say it reached a point like towards the end where, yeah, it was a problem. I wasn't being, I wasn't being a like good friend. I wasn't being considerate. I wasn't like being easy person to work with. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't doing my best. Um, but I think that if you were to ask most people, like, I don't think that they thought I had a drinking problem. I remember actually, I remember, so I got, I, the day that I, like, made my declaration of, of like, I'm, I'm fucking done, I gotta stop. It mm-hmm. was, it was July 5th, of 2014. And I was at work and I feel like I like I closed my eyes and opened up and I was sober. Started work at 130 and I came in and I was still like pretty like mm-hmm. and but like a couple nights before uh I was at probably Coles with uh with Marcus and some other people and I was just like, man, I fucking I do this shit too much it's weighing like i feel fucking bad yeah i got a problem and marcus is like you don't have a problem dude you are you are living the same life as everybody else but for me it was always a problem yeah and that was like i think that's like the big realization that you make is that you are just unable to drink without thinking so much about how much you're drinking yeah and in a long winter i felt like i i felt like i was just going usually it was like a cycle of like going pretty hard taking a break 
you know, just so I could be like, yeah, I got this. Thing. I'm, on, like, I'm in control. Right. And, uh, and then I just like, should have taken a break like four months earlier mm-hmm. sort of thing. Sure. And yeah, even that was also like the, that was also the, the winter that I like read infinite jest and like, <laughs> You know, and I'm I'm calling my mom, and I'm just like, hey, so he said this. Do you think, like, do you think about it in this way? And she's like, well, here's how I see it. And then I'm just like, oh, yeah, this this is like, this is the part of our brains that. It's the same. It's the same for everyone. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it without thinking about how much you're doing it. I can't get a beer at dinner without thinking about whether or not I'm going to have another beer. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you have enough that you're just like, ah, fuck it. And like, I was, I was in a lot of pain all the time. I've had, I had like chronic pain issues for most of my twenties. Mm-hmm. So I was just getting, I would just get physically wrecked. Totally. And my hangover wouldn't start until like four in the afternoon but I was working like the one to close shift sure. at work. And so, you know, I Midway go out to through. like, yeah. And I'm like, I feel like my fucking body's going to cave in. Yeah. And so when the, when I lock the door, it's like, all I need is a beer from across the street. Then I'll feel okay. I'm fine. And then it's just like, you know, it, it kind of continues. And then it's like, fuck. Like I've I've known this about myself for my entire life. Might as well just stop now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think growing up, you know, having someone who went through it, having someone who had issues with it made it easier for you to face it? Yeah. Absolutely. It was presented in such a way that both of my parents, you know, my parents like they'd party with the neighbors. They would hang out on Saturday nights and just like just drink beer in the living room and like listen to records for hours on end. Mm-hmm. And they just had the time of their life every Saturday night. It was great. And it was never like, you know, it was never anything other than like y'all are having a good time. And when my mom quit drinking, they kind of like sat me down. Like my dad also stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. But he was just like, I don't have, it's not hard for me. Yeah. For my mom, it was fucking one of the hardest things that she ever had to do. Yeah. So you kind of get that perspective that it's just like, this is just, this is just your brain chemistry. Yeah. And that's something you can't, you know, I think a lot of times in my experiences with it, people, people find ways to rationalize it and people find ways to explain it as normal. Yeah. Or or say, well, everyone else is doing it, but you're the only one who knows that it's not like everyone else. Yeah. And was that when you when you found that out or started to feel that, you know, wh- what was it like for you to have to start reckoning with that like maybe this isn't something that I can do anymore. It's kind of funny to think about now, but I totally glamorized it really i was like oh man i would like walk to work hungover and just like in my head just be like man when i quit drinking it's gonna be the best sure 
Yeah. I I guess I like just thought it was gonna fix everything, you know. I was like yeah. I was like, well, you know, if I'm not drinking then like I won't have migraines all the time and if I'm not drinking, like I won't be crappy to <laughs> customers or like my friends. So I but I mean it was scary. It was yeah. totally scary. Um just because like I knew that I didn't want to go to AA. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my mom went to AA. My mom's experiences in AA were, you know, positive to an extent. But we had like, like a couple like meetings where your family comes, and I, yeah. didn't, I didn't like that at all. Sure. And, um, you know, my mom at this point she doesn't do the program. She, my mom considers herself a recovered alcoholic, which is, uh so fucking admirable and that's like my total inspiration is is to say that Mm -hmm. um so i think it was like a it was scary it was scary to consider it was uh you know but i knew it was gonna be weird and i gave myself two years i told myself like this is gonna be strange for two years but Mm -hmm. that's that's okay this is the most important thing for you during this time is to just stay sober. That's it. How is it strange? Like what, what things were, were the biggest challenges? I mean, your social life fucking disappears. Yeah. Like you're, um, like it's funny. Cause there's like, there's a couple of people that I listen to who have very good, very real, pretty cynical takes on what it's like to be a an adult who doesn't drink and it's something that i can't really i've never really found a way to fully express because you know if you have a problem you should stop and it's good for anybody to stop drinking but it fucking sucks yeah you it's like you're what am i gonna do i was i at first i was like oh just go out. I'll just continue to go out and like hang out with everybody. And then you you end up like being caught up in the conversation over and over and over again. So what's uh what's going on? You you not you're not drinking? Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah actually I, I quit. Oh yeah, I should stop too. You know I I drink too much on a Friday night. Fuck you. Mm. And like that's not it's not their fault. They're just trying to relate to you. Yeah, and it's it's uh you know having been there as someone who started drinking post college. Yeah. And now does maybe once a year at most. Uh it's hard to reframe it and also a thing that I saw was that I would just get so frustrated being around those people when they would go really hard. It gets Be- a little frustrating because yeah. suddenly you're just watching your friends disintegrate. Right. Week after week, day after day. Yeah. And it becomes almost more depressing than what you're dealing with. I think Seth Romatelli, who does a podcast called Oh Yeah Dude, um, mm. best podcast in the world, um, he is sober and he talked about going to a bar and just saying, when I go there, nothing is going to change. Yeah. I am going to walk in. I'm going to be me and there's nothing that I can do that makes that any different. Yep. And that's 
kind of what it is. And I think that I also like, man, I needed to be alone. I'm a fucking, it took me a really long time to just deal with the fact that like, I'm a person that like, I like to spend most of my time alone. Same. And I didn't think that that was like, okay. And so I had to go and spend way too much time alone and then try and like figure out how to get out of that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So was this podcast a way to get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. It was like, it was 100% what it was. Really? I got too much energy and I, I, I don't know what, the, what else to do with it. Well, and it's almost a perfect marriage of it because you're still kind of doing it on your own. Right. But for an hour, there's someone else there. Yeah. You know? It's nice to talk to people. It's nice to have conversations with people. I have the ability to get to know someone who I can, I'm, you know, can continue to be friends with these people Mm -hmm. down the line. Had you had an interest in like interviewing or quote unquote journalism prior to that? Or was this just kind of something that like as podcasts were becoming more a norm, Mm -hmm. something that just felt like a natural uh, pivot? Well, I was writing a lot of nonfiction in, in college. That's kind of where my English degree took me was I was writing a lot of essays like towards the end and when I went back to school for the elementary ed thing uh I dropped out like quickly but I I needed to keep a certain number of credit hours and so I um I kept my uh my art and education class Mm -hmm. just went and painted for (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure those were great they were so fun um but I hit up like my old professor and i was like could i is there a way i could do like an independent study with you and she just gave me like she had a new journalism course just read fucking slashing towards bethlehem in cold blood fear and loathing on the campaign trail and sure the class read them all and write 30 pages for me so yeah i i think that i i kind of always wanted to communicate something um with music because I've, I've never really never really saw myself as much of a songwriter. I never, um, you know, I but I always thought that there was something to be communicated uh, in terms of listening and experience. Mm-hmm. And so I would write essays about, you know, uh, like a Paul Kelly song that, that my dad used to play in the car and... Um, you know, spending Christmas in separate houses for the first time and just like relating it all back to that. And yeah. Like our friends when when Born to Run would come on when we were in college and we'd all just clear out the dance floor. And, um, you know, I mean, there's there's only so far you can go with that. But I was like researching a lot and I, I was like reading big books at the time and just kind of reach a point where it's like, all right, these books just keep getting bigger the fucking like references just keep getting thicker. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with it. Like, what am I gonna like communicate outside of like my friend Wills, who lives down the hall, like who's you know also aware of this book. Like, oh man, fucking shit is popping off right now. Mm-hmm. I stared at the Arnold Feeney portrait for 45 minutes this morning, dude. Yeah. It was sick. Mm-hmm. And I think like. You know, my Saturn return happened. 
which is that happens every 30 years and you get fucking kickstarted. And I was also 29 going on 30. My two roommates were, they independently decided to go back to school. And so I was like, Oh, should I do that? No, I should just do this podcast that I've kind of been like thinking about. And it's like, it's a way to research. It's a way to fucking get out, talk to people. And it's a thing that I know that I could be good at if I tried. Mm hmm. So how did you, how did you start? I don't know, dude. One day, or like one week, I just dove in on on everything that I needed to know about starting it up and doing it yourself. Which is, it usually takes me like, obviously, it takes me years to do anything. Um, and I went to Japan. Uh, was hanging out with Boilerman for for a few days out there, and I've been talking to Chris about doing it. And then I was like, you know what, like. Yeah, when I get back, I was like, Jim, I want to do this thing, and I want you to be the first guest. I knew I knew that Jim would be really good because obviously, like, we were spending a week together. We were I was kind of able to just like talk to him about it for a few minutes at a time, like every day, just be like, I, I really want to do it. And he's like, Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, let's, let's do it. He's like, Sure, fine. And then yeah, I just like went home and fucking I did a hard dive into everything that Jim's been involved with came over and uh and we did it and it went pretty well yeah he was like i'm glad that you asked questions about the lyrics and i was like yes that's yeah everything i want i mean a lot of people in this realm they don't get asked that there's not that attention to detail it's just like what's the record about okay cool yeah you know and i'm a person that like i think i've always like i've always really liked to listen to things a lot of times over yeah and this is a really good excuse to to do that and you know i i got into this habit and it's pretty much how i do things like to this day where if i got somebody coming over it's just it's just their records for you know three days at a time just mm-hmm. like going over and just thinking about like all right well like what would i like to talk about you know yeah what's this how does this refer back to this and then sitting down and mapping it out and and asking going for it yeah that's you know jim was good because we had an extended amount of time to put it all together and and feel feel all right with it i guess so you said earlier that like you had trouble kind of like promoting the thing right yeah how was it kind of figuring out like all right this is a thing i'm gonna put out i think that i did so much of it so quickly that i didn't really have time to do it to to stop and think about it i think that i was also really excited about the fact that like you know the first one that i did in earnest turned out pretty well yeah and so i was just running on adrenaline from that and I didn't really have time to stop and like question it. I just put it up and was like, all right, this is the thing. And this is the thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and now episode two, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Fucking moron. Why didn't I wait? Why didn't I do a few more? Of I don't them understand just that. Like that? Yeah. I'm on, I'm an idiot. Like, I think that's like, that's up there with like the the dumber things that I did and it took me fucking a few months to just get at a point where I at least had like a week banked. Yeah. I was just having the hardest time like getting regularity 
in everything, just integrating it into my life and, and figuring out like how to get things, I don't know, how to talk to people and how to get like who to bring in, all this sort of shit. Like I Yeah. So the first like first few months of it, they were just getting done and then getting posted. So you know, you, you obviously talked about like your your process with it of like studying up, listening, listening, listening. You know, what were some things that were were hard about it? Were there certain episodes or certain guests or certain things that like were more taxing on you to you know make those episodes come together or just more difficult in trying to do the research? I think that the most difficult thing for it was. It was mostly logistical stuff. I think that was the thing that I had the hardest time with was just like, all right, who's next? Like, Mm -hmm. let me keep all of this like filtered and organized. And I think that was very anxiety provoking and that weighed on me really heavily. In terms of the actual interviewing, um, it wasn't, it, it took a little bit of time. And it's like I've been doing this clip show, so I've been listening back to like a lot of things Mm -hmm. and I guess realizing that like a lot's changed, but a lot's stayed the same. But when I was doing it for the first like 30 episodes of it, I was editing it and then putting it all together and then listening back to the entire thing, which I don't really do now. Good. Um, I'm glad you got away from that. But it's, I guess it was a really good, like, way to figure out, like, and I think I was good to myself during this time, too. Like, you know, my friend Pat Creed, um, who we didn't mention the beginning of my podcasting career, which was the Double Naga Knocker podcast with me and Pat Creed, but he used to do a lot of interviews, and I had a bad one. It's in the 20s. I know that you know which one it is, but I'm not going to say who it mm-hmm. was. Um, I call him up because Brennan Kelly was coming over the next day. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, dude, I'm fucking bad at this. I'm like, like this, it was so bad. And he was like, dude, your first six months are going to be bad. You're going to be fucking yeah. terrible at this for six months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, can it be like less than that? Cause I'm like good <laughs> sometimes. Sure. But listening back and like realizing like, I think that I think that the thing that I picked up on them on the most was there was a very good first 10 minutes of everything where it's just like shooting shit. Where are you from? Who are you into? Like this and that. And then there's like a hard stop and it's like, okay, interview, question, no. go. It's and it was like a really, really sharp turn that like I didn't like, but it was hard to, I guess, get out of that comfort zone of just like notes person yeah and getting basically being able to pull yourself back and just be like you know how to talk to people yeah it doesn't change the fact that you have microphones in front of you it doesn't doesn't mean that you're that you're all of a sudden not able to ask a follow-up question sure because that's what the person in front of you just said so I think that that was like the hardest thing was just like understanding that like, okay, everything's going to be a little bit different. Everyone's got a different vibe. 
let it happen and, you know, ask the questions that you want to ask. But if somebody says something good, follow it. Yeah. Like they're more interesting than you are. Totally. So I think that like took a little bit of time too to to go from like sometimes they were good, sometimes they they weren't good and trying to figure out like, okay, when they're not good, why? Yeah. And I think that I've gotten pretty good at being able to meet people at their level. Sure. That's something that I, I think that I, I kind of can just like detect like, you know, there's people who come on here who are just as natural as it comes, but there are people who have not done this before, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's I, so fucking cool. I mean, it's, that's, I think the huge difficulty of interviewing in general to a certain degree is that like there are people who have done this for maybe 10 years. Yeah. They know how to turn it on. They know how to, you know, interact in an interview setting. Some people don't have that. And especially in small young bands, like this is a first for them. And it's interesting to listen to the episodes where maybe that is more of a struggle on both sides. Yeah. But then there's the episodes where someone, you can almost hear them lighting up a little bit and being like, wow, like I've never had someone ask me these things or or think about these things or care about these things I do. And it's honestly like, that's the fucking greatest feeling of any of it is when you you spend so much time like with somebody's work and 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 what they put into it and then you're asking them questions that just reflect honestly just your adoration for mm-hmm. it and you get a moment where they're just like thankful that you're paying attention in that way yeah every every time i don't know there's like it's it's a very very humbling feeling yeah why better yet? Uh, it's from a Lemonhead song. Uh, the second verse of Rudderless, there's a call and response between Evan Dando and Juliana Hatfield. All the way down to the lake, found the lake was wet. How much more could I take? Better yet. Mm-hmm. So that phrase just like stuck. Um, Terry's going to be mad if I don't mention that Scott and Terry and I tried to do a like, oh yeah, dude type podcast called better yet really yeah we recorded on terry's ipad it was not very good yeah that's not the best move what, what were you you know you, you've mentioned a couple other podcasts you've tried to do uh-huh what what made those not work i didn't i didn't try to promote them i didn't figure out that like all right this is how you get into itunes i mean the like nobody i don't think anybody ever heard the one with terry and i pat and i were were you know basically just it gave us an excuse to hang out um it's but we didn't what podcasting is yeah i agree um you know being able to hang out with you is there's a lot of gifts that i get from doing this thing keep me out of this um edit me out yeah uh, it, yeah i think that it was just like pat was like taking care of like the posting of it it was like through his friend's website you know i didn't like research anything in terms of like servers or things like that so this was like mine and i i got in on all ends of it except for the website uh with scott but you know he and i have been pretty hands-on with all of that so i think my being invested in it from 
the bottom up is is super important to me like pushing it the way that i have what keeps you going with it because i'm i know there have been weeks where like you said sometimes you're chasing things sometimes things fall through sometimes it, it, it can be frustrating to do something on this type of level that requires so much scheduling and commitment and research what keeps you wanting to move forward with it it's kind of been it served as like this this means for me to kind of figure out that there are a lot of things that I want to do. Yeah. It was like, it was like, all right, I, I gotta do, I gotta do one thing. I do one thing that I'm proud of because, you know, the music thing, it was like, you know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't work the way that I wanted it to. And I didn't put everything that I think I could have into it. Maybe, um, but I gotta do, I gotta do one thing that, that I fucking just go for it. And, and then I did and, and I, I think I got pretty good at it. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, I'd also like to like do other things. I want to write. I want to, you know, so writing for post trash and, mm-hmm. and hooligan and doing the show, with you and doing the show with Scott and working on this Wilco comp. Like I have all of these, all of these things that I get to participate in. And this show is, it's kind of like my, my safe haven. It's like my landing zone. Sure. It's something that I still get so much out of, talking to people and and interviewing them and interviewing them in my way and and I still get a lot of validation out of the fact that I think that these are interviews that people want to hear and that people want to do and you know and I can also do it without fucking going crazy about it like I used to it's not like I'm like looking at the calendar all the time like oh who who the fuck like it's gotten into a place where it's just all just like working it's a muscle and it's all it's all solidly there and and now it's like all right well let me try something different that's that's all new yeah absolutely who who are some people that you would want to have in here and do this thing with like who are your who's still left on like a dream guest list um Sadie Switchblade like that Dyke Drama record was huge for me when I started it cuz when I started it I was not doing good Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of like that same energy i think that's tied to that time that really just goes into that dyke drama ep Mm -hmm. and i mean you know she's done so much else yeah yeah. and i mean francis quinlan get to sounds the best record of the past 10 years Mm -hmm. yeah um you know, Steve Hartlett is is kind of my white whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll. I love I you know I love what what he's doing and and I think that he's a he's a shape shifting enigma. So, you know, him I would really like to have on. But there's there's so many fucking bands, you know. Yeah. It's like, I think it's it's funny. We were talking about good luck in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about interviewing Ginger when this thing started. Yeah. And then I did. And I was like, God damn, like, I didn't, you know, like, 
I love that band. Totally. I love that band so much. Totally. And there's so many bands that I love so much that it's like, I think that that's kind of one of the, the funny aspects of it where you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, I mean, I didn't even consider this this person or like this this sect of music. Like, I've discovered so much doing this too. Like, mm-hmm. all that bedroom pop, all, you know. I, I think that this gets me excited about like actually listening to the people that people are talking about. Yeah. You know, I want, it's like, I think that it's like kind of a good, like motivational tool in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. to keep you interested and and engaged. Yeah. 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 But when you, when you think about it now and you look back on it, knowing everything that built up to, to why you started doing it, do you think you got what you needed from, from doing better yet? Yeah, but it took time. Um, like similar to stopping drinking and that feeling of like, all right, if I do this, like it'll take care of everything. Sure. Like I definitely took this on as a way to give myself purpose and keep myself distracted but things went really well really quickly yeah i think that was like the biggest surprise to all of it was that like i thought i was gonna i thought i was gonna do this for a year before i could talk to kate eldridge sure i just i for for whatever reason i was like you know there's there are bands that are on a level that they're not going to want anything to do with with a thing like this until they know about it. Yeah, sure. So it was like it it totally exceeded my expectations. Fucking booked uh Jordan Hudkins the day the first episode came out. Yeah. Like he'd never heard the thing before. We mm-hmm. were on Bandcamp. We didn't even have an iTunes thing. So yeah, yeah. I didn't think that any of that shit would happen. But so it was like exceeding expectations and in so many ways but i was just like fucking so wrecked i was so like anxious and unhappy and depressed and i was just like not really a very good functioning person Mm -hmm. and i was doing really good at this but everything else just felt like it was on very unstable ground and I just remember being like, what the, like, what, like, things are good. Like, I was hearing that from so many people. Like, you know, we did everything that we wanted to do. Why do I feel so crappy? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I interviewed Brennan Kelly about, I talked to him about the greatest story I ever told for 20 minutes. Yeah. Why am I unhappy? I think I had to fucking realize that you still need to do work. Yeah. You see, like, you can't, you can't, like find a way to not do the things that you have to do to be a healthy person, to be a like a good friend, a good partner, a mm. good anything. Yeah. So yeah, that that took some time and it took some falling on my face. Do you think that having this helped you understand what else you needed to do having something that was stable having something that even if it wasn't going to fix the problems would keep you moving forward 
this, I reached a point where I, I needed to get, I needed to get some help. Um, I, Caleb Cortez, when he was here recently, used the term, like, my temporal lobe dropped. My temporal lobe dropped. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what to do. And I was kind of scaring myself a little bit. I was, no, I was fucking terrifying myself. Um, And I wasn't sleeping. I was very anxious and you know i think that uh i think it's a healthy thing to have suicidal ideations to an extent i think i don't think you're a person if you haven't thought about the fact that you can do that Mm -hmm. but i was i'd reached a point where that was that was it it's all i fucking thought about for like two months just nonstop. so all i all I was capable of. Um, I would wake up. I would work at six in the morning, mm-hmm. go to bed at nine, wake up at one thirty, be up till five. Ugh. Just like, just clutching the dog. Mm-hmm. Just like, fuck man. Like I, I was, yeah, I was not in a good spot. I was seeing my therapist like every day three days every four days um she was like i think that you like could use some help here and i was like i don't want to go on medication Mm i've been on medication before i didn't like it when i was in college i stopped taking it because i'm like was just it was like a generic that like hurt my body a lot and i was like i'm I'm not going down that road again like and i was just like i i know that if i i know that if i get that many pills in my possession i'm going to eat all of them and i'm telling you that that's how it's going to happen and she was like what if it makes you feel better and it did. And there's a good portion of this show where there are interviews where no chance you can tell. And it was purely because I, this was like the only thing that could keep me engaged and allow me to focus in on something for more than half an hour. Mm -hmm. And I am really thankful for all the people that I talked to during that time. Um, And It's like the reason that I've always felt like we're all involved in this is because 
we all needed something to help us. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the thing that I needed at that time was, um, you know, was some sort of, some sort of direction and something to, you know, some little island to, to, to stand on for a little bit of time. And, and I also, you know, I needed, I needed something for my brain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it kept me afloat for a really long time, and, and then there's this lovely ray of fucking hope that, that came in, um, and helped me to stop being so fucking hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Um man, you listen to like there's this there's this one of my one of the, the tiny bits of narrative of listening to all of these is is there's a period where it's just, you know, maybe I sound a little bit run down and then there's just there's just one episode in there where I'm like yeah what's up damn i'm gonna listen to your record like all fucking week yeah are you stoked because i am and it was like that happened and then i was like i want to do a live show and then fucking that was that's the coolest thing that i've ever been fucking part of was those people in that room Mm. and i i just i'm so floored by by these people that I get the privilege to spend time with who do this, who are, are doing this because it means so much to them and because, you know, we've, we've, we are no longer in an age where people write songs so that they can escape their circumstances. Nobody's writing a song so that they can have a hit record and then they can, mm-hmm. like, leave the streets. yeah we're lucky we're lucky and we we don't we don't give enough to the people who make this stuff for us and i i have just it's been so incredible to just be in a position where you know when i hear things when i hear things that i like i want to talk to them i want to talk to the people who made them and i found a way to fucking do it without just like cornering them at the bar until sure yeah i think they're so great you're not punishing them after a set at the merch table yeah which i've done Eh, everyone's guilty of yeah but i want to say you know i think there are a lot of people who are thankful for what it is you do and I know that may sound strange, but as as we talked about, there wasn't someone doing this, you know? There wasn't someone giving these people the attention that they deserve. There wasn't someone trying to make this thing happen. And I think over the course of the past two years, from the live show, there's been plenty of instances of people showing that they care, showing that they want this and they need this too. And I think one of the most powerful parts of this show has always been getting to see you through it 
and getting to see the things you like, the things that are going on, and getting to hang out with you for an hour every week, even from a distance. And the the way you treat your guests and the way you treat your audience with respect and kindness and care. And not a lot of people would do that. And as someone who didn't know you particularly well before this thing started, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to, to get to do this with you well, and to get yeah. to watch you get this to this point. And for me, I'm excited to see what's next. It's nice of you to say, and it's, I, it's a point of pride, I think in the, uh, the episode list because there's only a couple of people who I didn't really want to talk to came mm-hmm. on here. Um, George Thurgood was not a particularly shining example. Yeah. Um, I, it's nice to have, you know, done a thing that provides people who want this type of information a chance to find it and it's really like it's incredible to uh you know see people who should have it uh you know just enjoy it Mm -hmm. i think that when i started doing it i found myself just like sort of out of nervousness just like and also, you know, I'm the host. I have to I have to create this like air of positivity. Sure. You know, otherwise why would you listen to it? And the more I found myself doing that and taking it on in that way, the more that I realized how beneficial that was to everybody. You know, yeah. like having people come over here who like are kind of nervous about doing mm-hmm. it. Like I gotta be the, I gotta be the positive force and in, in that side of the conversation and just to let them know like, yo, you're, you're the fucking best. Are you kidding me? Like the shit that you make, like yeah. you are, you are solid gold. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that like, it's, it's helped me, I think to put more, positive energy into different places and to try and let that be the thing that you're known for because i don't i don't know if it comes naturally to me but when you make it you make yourself do it enough you start to really take it in and let it be a part of you and that's been like a real gift to all of it. It's just the fact that things look a lot brighter since I've been doing this show. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure that's what you're known for at this point is doing something that brings a lot of joy to a lot of people and offers something that people want and need. And, uh, you know, I've been honored to be a part of it in every form it's taken. And I'm very excited to see where it goes and who you get to talk to and what happens next for uh, my buddy, Tim Crisp. Thanks, Bubba.
It's my sorry, fucking sorry, line. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey that's now. Yours. That's yours. Just had to take back everything I said. See you next week. Thanks, Bobas. Yeah.